Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 46. Our skill topic for this week is positivity. It's kind of an abstract skill. And um, I got to be honest, I think this was a dumb idea. Who thought of this? Who's I, I don't know. It wasn't my idea. Yeah, I have no I idea. I think it was think it think it was PJ's pretty, idea. Pretty sure it was PJ's idea. Pretty sure. Oh, what an idiot. Yeah. All right. We're going to have to write him up. So, on the topic of positivity, Tom, what skill class is positivity? Oh man, I'm excited about this one. This is going to be a good one. Are you excited? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I'm excited. Let's let's do it. What it, what is it? What what's a skill class? Oh, oh, skill Oh, got it. Uh it's a uh Zero. Positive oh, zero. Zero. Not a negative zero. Good. Good one. That's a good Positive one. zero is exactly what I was thinking. Yes. That's fantastic. I got to tell you, I love it when we get together for these things. It's just, it's just super awesome. Tanda, what kind of research did you do on positivity? Well, I found a couple things that, uh, that lead to positivity. One of them is that uh, if you have uh, a force component that in the same direction as displacement, then that's, that's positive. That'll do, that'll do positive work she's got a point um she's got a point and so if it's in the opposite direction of of the displacement of an object of course that's that's negative so you don't want to do that but i think the best thing i found was that uh, you know if you have a if you have an atom or a group of atoms and you have more protons than than electrons then that's that's positive so that's true i think that's what it comes down to is just a deficit of electrons so I mean, I've met lots of atoms in my life. I've never met anybody named Proton. So yeah. I'd say this is a pretty positive place. I'm almost positive that Proton was an Autobot. I'm just saying. I think yeah. I, I met him once. And any atom, any atom that you come across, if you can strip some electrons off of them, then, uh, you know, however you do that, maybe with some rabbit fur or something. I'm pretty sure Tom has met some strippers. Then, then they... They become more more positive. I, I don't know, Tom. Tom, yeah. uh, what what research did you do on positivity? Uh, well, I'd like positivity. I'd like to start with the definition, so we all know what we're talking about here. And the definition is the practice of being or tendency to be positive or optimistic in attitude. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, that, that's all I. That's all I got. Oh, there's not not in not in not in charge. No, not in charge. Oh man! So this is an attitude thing rather than a charge thing. Yeah. Yep. Well, Charles in charge was very positive. Yep. See, I'm, this is why I this is why I researched the definition. It's so important to this discussion. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm, I may not be prepared, but I'm I'm going to be positive about the fact that I can probably come up with something. That's good. Well, uh, I I looked up uh, when positive thinking started, and it gave me like a whole list of people that contributed. And I was like, this is a positive list. But then I went a little further down and it said, do you know about toxic positivity? And I said, no, I don't. I need to know what that means. The definition of toxic positivity is the excessive and ineffective overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state across all situations. Did you guys know that? No. So we're just... We're just doing definitions now. I didn't know that. So having having someone that's toxically positive around you can can be detrimental. 
this is the premise of Ted Lasso. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Process of toxic positivity results in the denial, minimization, and invalidation of the authentic human emotional experience. It's, I mean, it can't get any worse than that, right? So uh, then we go to the signs of toxic positivity, which I've got beef with, let me tell you. First, it says hiding or masking your true feelings. I'm pretty sure everybody does that. I don't care whether you got toxic positivity or not. Everybody's masking their true feelings. No one's running around telling everybody everything, right? Hmm. So I don't like that one. Number two, trying to just get on with it by stuffing and dismissing emotions. Uh, I, I kind of feel like everybody does that too, right? I mean, well, yeah, and I'm not sure it's that's a positive correlation either. I mean, I think people who... People I know who just stuff their emotions aren't the most positive people. I wouldn't, I would. Yeah, usually pretty negative. You know, like running across someone who's, yeah, they're usually kind of negative. Yeah. Uh, number three is feeling guilty for feeling what you feel. <laughs> that, I mean, that sounds like something your mother would make you feel, right? You're feeling guilty mm. for feeling something. That's, that sounds like a mama thing to me. I don't know. Tell us how you really feel, PJ. Yeah. Uh, number four, minimizing other people's experiences with feel-good quotes or statements. I got to say, that's kind of a jerk thing to do. If someone's trying to like tell you what they're going through and you just throw a bunch of quotes at them, I, I agree. That's that's not good. That's, that's definitely pretty toxic. So I agree with that. Number five, trying to give someone perspective. In other words, it could be worse instead of validating their emotional experience. One day at a time, PJ, one day at a time. Yeah, I'm kind of on the fence about that one. I, I think that you know that could go either way. You know, that could go either way. Number six, shaming or chastising others for expressing frustration or anything other than positivity. That, I think, is definitely toxic positivity. If, 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 you're, if you're talking to somebody and they're just trying to tell you something and you get mad at them for not being positive, I, I think you got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, I'm just saying, that's not good. It's not good. Yeah, so you cut your arm off. I've seen people with one arm do amazing things. Just look at the bright side. Yeah, yeah. You could be in the Special Olympics now, you know? Yeah. Uh, number seven, final answer here, uh, brushing off things that are bothering you with an it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> I say that almost daily. <laughs> I, th there's a guy at work who hates that expression, right? Like, because there are people at work who say, well, you know, it is what it is. And he, he just like abhors that expression. So when he was on vacation, they, uh, someone at, at some point before my tenure there got this neon sign that says, it is what it is, and hung it up <laughs> over his desk. And uh, of, course he, awesome. of course, he couldn't take it down because that would just be giving in, you know, mm -hmm, to their, uh, mm -hmm. but it wasn't working from the time I started there. Well, when he was recently out on vacation, someone paid to get it fixed. And, and so now it's still over his desk and, and now it's back on again. Yeah. That is awesome. That's awesome. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. All right. It was a light week for all of us. And actually, um, the, the dealer's corner I have, I got weeks ago but I just physically got it recently. 
So this is called the Jersey Connection. There was a woman named Tony Marie. It's a typical Jersey name. There's a lot of Tony Maries in Jersey. Yep. It was selling a six-inch, one-third horsepower vintage Rockwell bench grinder in Junk Hunter Blue for $30. And it was mostly complete. The only thing it was missing was one of the side covers. And um, it had the arms for the shields, but no shields. And it had both of the tool rests. 30 bucks was a steal. And it just so happens that she was in Stanhope, New Jersey, which also coincidentally is where my brother lives. And Stanhope is a small town. But it is far enough for me that I would not drive to go get this thing. So I worked my magic and I said, hey, Tony, if I could pay you for this right now, you think you could do me a favor and drop it off at my brother's house because he doesn't drive. Well, he does drive, but he doesn't have a car. And she was like, yeah, I think I could do that. So I coordinated with my brother, which is kind of along the lines of trying to call the FBI. There's a lot of back and forth before you actually get like a positive confirmation. And uh, he agreed. He's he's very uh, COVID sensitive. Uh, he doesn't want to have contact with anybody that he doesn't have to have contact with. So he's like, yeah, she can drop it in a cardboard box outside the house. I'm like, no, no, you, you need to bring it in the house. Tanda, sidebar. Yeah. I would have bet you a million dollars that PJ was the crazy one in his family. A million dollars. <laughs> a million. I would, I'd still make that bet today. Knowing what I know, I'd still make the bet. I just don't believe it. I think it's a, I think it's a safe bet because I think there's probably still stuff we don't know about PJ, you know, as long as we've oh. known him. So yeah, I think you're, right. probably you're probably still right. You're probably still, right. Still safe to make that bet. Hey, you know, oh, while, yeah. while we're in the yeah. sidebar, I've got something else. You know, I think um, he, I noticed in his, uh, in his dealer's corner, he said it was in Junk Hunter Blue. Now, I'm yes. sure it wasn't advertised as such, but I think it would be worth the money for us to pay a bunch of people within 100 miles of PJ oh, to, list, to list drill presses and put in the description in Junk Hunter Blue. I'm on it. Okay. Get on that. And uh, yeah. If you need some money Listen, for it, I'm if, I'm in. If he throws to me uh, during the show in the next hour, just cover for me because I'm I'm out now. I'm okay, out. okay. Perfect. I'll I'll just kind of uh, I'll grumble like uh, like the principal in Ferris Bueller. Oh yeah, perfect. perfect. Okay, yeah. Oh, there's there's PJ. He's finishing up his stuff now. So I managed to get my brother to hold on to it for me inside the house, which was fantastic, and. I said, look, just hold on to it until I see you. Never mind the fact I haven't seen him for like two years because, you know, COVID and he's my brother. So uh, all of a sudden he's uh, he's like, he, my brother is an event painter. He goes to weddings and he paints at the wedding and it's a big deal. He, you know, he makes good money doing it. He had to rent a car so that he could go out and do a wedding out on Long Island and part of, I don't know if this is COVID thing or a rental car thing changing their, uh, their rules, but you can't return a car on the weekend anymore. Like if they're not open, you, you have to return it when they're open. So because he rented it and had to use the car on Saturday, he had it Sunday, even though he didn't need it. So he's like, nah, I'll come up. So he brought up the grinder and he's like, hey, I've got this jug of Marvel mystery oil. Do you want it? 
<laughs> like, yeah, sure, bring it to me. So I've got like a, I don't know, like a, a quarter of a gallon of, of Marvel Mystery Oil. Uh, it's like the kind for your engine, like the engine mm-hmm. additive. But I'm sure you could use it for other things. So, and you know, it was free. So, so that was it. That was that was all I got. Um, it was it was just a just a little a little deal this time. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. All right, it's time for personal history. Tom, what's your personal history with positivity? I don't know. Well, do we have to call your mom? Would she know? No. No, she. I'm definitely positive she wouldn't know. I don't know. I've always been. I've always been like, I have my negative streaks, but I've always been relatively positive, especially when it's something I want to do. Then I'm definitely positive about it. <laughs> especially if, <laughs> especially if people close to me, like physically close to me, don't want to do something, then I'm like hardcore positive about the thing I want to do. I, I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that you don't really practice and life kind of just pushes you one way or the other of the spectrum. And, and you can definitely fight your way out of, uh, negative negativity, but I'm not saying all negativity is bad. Sometimes like, sometimes you need a little dose of negativity too. I'm not even sure if that was an answer, but I I thought it was funny. (laughs) Tanda, what about you? Did I mention you? I'm running for governor next month? I'll vote for you. I'll 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 move to Connecticut, register, vote, and then move back to Pennsylvania. Just just Brilliant. for you, Tom, because you know I love you, buddy. I just look up the obituaries and pick a dead guy, and you can vote. It's no, it's easy. I do it all the time. Why would I vote for a dead guy? <laughs> you know, you know, that's that's going to be a lot of negativity if if Tom ends up losing to a dead guy. That's happened. That would be hilarious. Yeah. Tanda, what is your personal history with positivity? I would I would say I have kind of an unusual or uh, yeah, kind of an unusual relationship with positivity. I am incredibly positive and always have been for other people. I'm, you know, like there for them. I'm going to cheer them, you know, if I'm on a group or in a team, I played team sports and and I was the person who was like we can pull this out. You know, there's, there's always a way that we can find a way to win. And, and, you know, someone's like falling behind and struggling in practice. I'm like carrying them, but for myself, I'm, I've never been a big fan. So I have this really odd relationship where I'm like really positive and supportive of other people. But I, when people, um, try to help me out or I'm down, you know, I, I tend to be really negative toward, toward myself and so I'm, that's something I'm constantly working on. And I found it interesting, like with us doing the podcast and stuff, that uh, if I'm with a group, but then someone says something positive, my first reaction is to like play it off or turn it, turn it into a negative. But then I realize there are other people involved. And so that kind of messes with me because then I'm like, oh, I, I need to just be grateful and say thank you and, uh, and, and take it as a positive because, you know, personally, I want to take it, I want to find some way to take it as a negative because that's just how I am. Mm-hmm. But then it kind of messes with me because I'm like, well, but this is like as a group. And so for the group, I have to be positive. But but for myself, I have to be negative. And so 
I've, I've always had this kind of odd relationship. And like Tom said, I think it's just kind of something that starts out early in life. And, you know, there, there may be somebody that you just can't, you know, you can't be good enough or you can't do anything, you know, up to their level of expectation or something. And you kind of develop this negative attitude about yourself. And I think you, you want to help other people. You don't want to do that. You, you kind of see enough of, of it to know that, that you don't like feeling that way. So then you try to be really positive to everybody else because you don't want to act like that to them, but, but you fall into it yourself. So it's kind of a weird a weird situation where it's like you can't apply it to yourself, but you can apply it to everybody else. <laughs> so, um, Tanda, it sounds to me like you're, this is so bizarre because on the podcast, you're usually very, very positive, but it sounds like you're anti-positive everywhere else. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> kind of what it sounded like to me. Well, it keeps, it keeps a balance. You know, it keeps, it keeps the charges balanced. If, uh, it, no, the, not that I'm, um, yeah, I'm I'm very positive on the podcast because it's like it involves other people, and so uh, I tend to, you know, kind of be the, you know, look on the positive side of things. I had a friend when I was in high school that was like, always expect the worst and you'll never be disappointed, and I hated Ugh, that. I mean, I mean and he literally said that all the time. He's like, just always expect the worst and you'll never be disappointed. And I was like, gosh, what a stupid way to go through life. You know, that's that's yeah. ridiculous. That guy lives in 24 hours a day. Yeah. No, I mean, he was, yeah, he was not a happy guy. No. Most of the time. You know, while I don't, I don't subscribe to that attitude, I think that there's like a way you can work things out. And as far as me, like pulling myself out of like bad situations financially or just generally in life, I have a positive outlook. Like I'm going to get from point A to point B. I'll figure it out. But I don't like myself. <laughs> while I'm doing it most of the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do it, but I'm yeah. going to do it while I'm mad. Yeah. It, it's, it's very, it's very odd. So I, I don't know if you want to chime in PJ with your personal history, maybe we can just continue discussing it. So I have, there's sort of stages for me. Uh, I grew up with attention deficit disorder, not knowing that I had it. So in a way I was oblivious to a lot of things growing up because I just wasn't aware of them. And because of that, I think I had a better outlook on life than most other people who could, they were aware of everything and like stuff would get them down. And I'm just like not noticing the things that get gets everybody else down. I'm like, you know, life is good, you know, and because I didn't know any better. Even, and by the way, I was the tall you know, gawky kid in school. So because I was the tall kid, everyone picked on me because I was the one that stuck out. I was the tall guy. Everybody else was short. Right. So um, I I always got picked on. And even with the being picked on, I didn't have a bad attitude. So like that, that alone is kind of like bizarre when you think about it. Uh, but then moving forward, my granny was a worrier. And, and, by default, I think she transferred that some of that to my mom, who is also a warrior, but nowhere near as bad. My granny was like a world-class warrior. She worried about everything. And most of all, she worried about dying. Like I remember being like eight years old and st like sitting my granny down and be like, Granny, you need to stop worrying about dying. 
you talk about it all the time. Mm. <laughs> and she she looked at me and she's like, I'm not worried about dying. And I'm like, then why are you always making us pray about it? Because <laughs> that was something that my granny would do. Right. There was there was um in, in, in the community, there was this um statue of the Blessed Mother, which was part of the church she was in. And the statue was supposed to go from like house to house, like I think it was I don't remember if it was every week or every month. I can't remember, but it was supposed to move like from house to house in the community and everybody could pray to the Blessed Mother. Well, no one ever wanted it, so it was like always at her house. <laughs> So like every time I visited, it was there, and we were always sitting like playing, praying to the Blessed Mother. So this was like, I don't know, that plays into my mindset at some point that she was always worried about dying. So I guess in a way, I kind of didn't want to worry, and that is that's kind of like you know that pushes you into a positive mindset, you know, where you're not worrying about things. On top of the fact that worrying is a completely useless practice. It does not change the outcome of anything, and all it does is waste energy. So then we get into uh, more of my sort of, I don't know, are the formative years or 20s? Your 20s, your formative years? I think that's when you're a kid, there's formative years. In my 20s, I started to push into my own. Those are your deformative years, depending on what you do, you know, in college. Those, those can be your deformative years. <laughs> it was my restructuring years. Let's yeah, just say that. Yeah, deformed you. The ex- yeah, definitely deformed. Yes, I hit my head several times. I started moving in a different direction. Um, I'd been raised Catholic, and I did not identify with that at all. I never did, even growing up. And I started to move into shamanism because I, I have, for no apparent reason, because I'm not related by blood to any Native Americans, but I had this feeling of kinship to the Native American culture. And so shamanism was kind of like the thing. For, it felt like a natural direction to go in. And there was a lot of positivity built with that. And then moving forward several years, uh, I met my mentor who started to point out um, the fact that I was, I, he didn't use the words overly positive, but it was very apparent that I had a lot more positive thinking without any affirmations. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that write books about positive affirmations and say them every day. And, you know, like that was actually in some of the research that I found. Um, actually, let me, let me, let me bring it up just so I can, uh, there was one line in there that I thought was interesting. I found a lot of that too, but it just wasn't funny. So one of the people was um, Emil Q, Koyu, I can't pronounce his last name. Uh, but he was a uh, pharmacist who studied hypnotism and auto-suggestion, and he is famous for the quote, every day in every way, I am getting better and better. We've all heard that before. That that quote came from this guy. That was, that was like the positivity mantra. Uh, I never did any of those things. That was not like, and to this day, I don't do mantras. I don't like them. I think that what that's doing is basically you're trying to program yourself. And um, I, I've never, it's just never jibed with me. So my my outlook on life was more of, um, and I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but if this is the first time, there are two ways to look at the world. The world is either a hurtful, harmful place that is out to get you, or 
the world is a positive place that is there to support you in manifesting your desires. And that's it. It's one or the other. You're in one world or you're in the other world. You can't be in both. I am in the support my desires world. So everything that happens, even if it's something that could be considered bad, I consider it like a learning opportunity. I talk with people like on Clubhouse. I'm in a lot of rooms where I'm talking to people, trying to give them advice and wisdom when they're having problems. And occasionally it'll come up where there's a disagreement and not necessarily between me and someone else, but between two other people. And one person insists that they're right and the other person insists that they're wrong. And I will, I will kind of break in and I will say, listen, for any given situation or answer, uh, there's almost always more than one correct answer. So there, there's the both of you could be correct. So that's the first thing to know. Most times there's like 10 correct answers, not just one or two. Uh, the other thing, though, is uh, I've, I've been around. I'm experienced. Most of what I have to say is true. But you know what? I am wrong more, you know, more than I'd like to admit, but I'm happy to be wrong because if I'm wrong, that means that someone is now teaching me something that I didn't know. So it, it being right and being wrong uh, is irrelevant as far as how I look at everything. So if you don't care about being wrong, that also helps you to stay positive because now you're not fighting someone to prove that you're right. You're not trying to overpower anybody. Uh, this has to do with just being open to listening to people. And again, that is part of uh, having a positive mindset. You know, if you're not trying to enforce your will on others, now all of a sudden you're able to learn and grow as a person, which I think is kind of one of those innate traits in makers. Makers are people that listen. You know, they really want to connect with other people. They want to know, they want to learn new things from other makers. Right. So that whole mindset, you know, even even when something bad happens, like I saw, I saw on Facebook, I can't remember who it was, but somebody had put up a post and it was a picture of, the first picture was an angle grinder that had half a cutoff disc on it. And then the second post was the guy wearing a face shield and the other half of the cutoff disc was going through the face shield and was like an inch away from his eye. Mm -hmm. And he said, I think it was, he said <laughs> something like, has anybody their pants at work before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he, he was obviously making a joke about it. But right. again, that's like, you know, that could have turned out really bad, you know, could have lost an eye or something. He had the, he had the PPE on, which is the thing that saved him. You know, but yeah, it's like even in those kind of circumstances, you know, we still find a little bit of positive humor. Well, I think something you said just before that with the uh, that I think is is maybe I mean, I'm sure there there are plenty of people in the maker community who, you know, who, who struggle with, uh, you know, they're they're with depression and stuff just like anywhere else in the world. But I think that that being able to detach your skill set from your personality is something that makers can do in a positive way. I mean, I think a lot of people who would call themselves a maker certainly attach their skills to their personality, and it's a big part of who they are. But it doesn't really necessarily how good they are at it doesn't necessarily define them. 
they're just learning, they're collecting skills, they're trying things. And like you said, if they're really good at it or not so good at it or just learning doesn't really affect their positivity. In fact, in, in many cases, when they're just learning, they're, they're more positive or they're very positive about it, even though they have no idea, but they're learning something. And I think a lot of people get in a really negative mindset when they don't know, you know, something and they're just trying to learn it and they don't know it and they're really negative about it. And I think makers are just the opposite. It's like, oh, here's something else that I have absolutely no idea about. How exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of instead of how scary and how how negative I feel about it. And so that's kind of an unusual twist where I, I've known people who would just, you know, lock down um, and and not even know what to do if faced with something that they just had never done before. They would just totally avoid it. So that that is the two worldviews. Mm-hmm. That the example you just gave is the two different worldviews of so you know a world that supports you or a world that is against you. Right. That is that is what either, those two either people so are. much to learn or how bad I could fail. At yeah. This. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do, I will touch a little bit on the depression. Okay. So you guys have known me for quite a while, and I don't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but. I get uh, seasonal affective disorder during mm-hmm. winter. I'm I'm very very uh, sensitive to the weather. Like even now, if it's like a rainy day, that bums me out. Uh, it's not something that I really can control. Um, well, you could move here. Sort of, I, I don't want to be on the surface <laughs> of the sun with you, Tanda. That's that's probably worse. But the point I'm making is there are several points during the year where I am in a feeling of depression, okay? But the thing that I want to point out is I'm not a depressed person. I am just because I feel depressed doesn't mean that I am depressed. So that's something to keep in mind. The depression doesn't define who I am, but it does affect um, my daily routine at times. So that's something to keep in mind. You can be very, very positive, but you could still be depressed. Uh, And the thing that I try to, um, when that happens to me, I remind myself that this is not permanent. Like it's going to go. It's just a temporary phase that I am in for whatever reason, whether it's the weather or something else. Eventually it'll, it'll lift. So the best thing to do is to do something. Right. When you just sit there and you let it overtake you, that makes it worse. But if you get up and do something, your mind starts moving in a different direction. You start creating something. You start uh, thinking about fixing a problem. And then all of a sudden, you don't even notice the depression because now you're completely shifted onto something else. Yeah, I think that takes takes a number of cycles because I certainly, I don't know if it's seasonal, but I certainly have gone through lots of lots of down, down times. And I think after a while, you just logically say, you know, I've I've gone through a downtime before and it's turned around. Mm-hmm. So as long as I don't do anything drastic and do something detrimental, I can ride this out until it turns around. And, and, and in a twisted way, that's being very positive about it, even though you're, like you said, you're feeling, mm-hmm. you're feeling depressed or you're feeling down, but just with a positive attitude, you're like, but... I've felt this way before. 
and there was another side of it, you know, and it took a while, but I'll just look forward to that and be positive about the fact that this will, you know, subside at some point. I mean, a really simple way to look at it is uh, being hungry, okay? If you've ever had a day where you didn't have anything to eat, like you got up in the morning, didn't have any breakfast, you didn't have any lunch, and by dinner time, you feel like, you know, your stomach is starting to implode, you know, and you're just like, oh my God, this is, this is the worst. But then you eat something and then you feel better, you know, it's the same thing, but just in a, like a very short cycle. Or I thought you were going to say, but then you just start working on something that you're really jazzed about and you totally forget you're hungry. Well, that can happen too. That can and happen then, too. And I then mean, you eat the next day. Yeah. It, it has happened. Oh, that, you know? I do that regularly. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hello, this is Chet down at Johnson's Hardware. Do you have problems with friends of yours that just don't have a positive attitude? They just can't stay happy no matter what? We have just the solution. Introducing Sister Sally's Slap Happy Glove. That's right, this brand new product at Johnson's Hardware is fantastic for solving this particular issue. The glove is a normal leather garden glove with a gel hand on a hinge with a spring attached to the back. So just go up to the person that's feeling down, slap them with the glove, and then the gel hand will slap into the glove that you're wearing, which will actually effectively slap them twice. This will absolutely not help the person that's feeling down, but it'll make you laugh like crazy. Sister Sally's Slap Happy Glove is only $14.95, and it's in the gardening section of our hardware. The Sister Sally's Slap Happy Glove may cause dizziness, swelling, and the redness of the face. Johnson's Hardware is not responsible for any of these things. If you would like to get your own Slap Happy Glove, please contact us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. This ought to be interesting. Tom, what skill goes well with positivity? Well, I'd like to say design, but I'm going to go with negativity because you can't be positive without understanding how to be negative. That's very creative, Tom. I like that. That's good. that's got a good counterpoint. You got to have one Whoa. without the other. Yeah, yeah. It was it would it would have been really hard to refute that, Tom, because if we're going to do a whole episode on positivity as a skill, saying negativity just yeah, that's a shoe in. You can't argue it's not. I, I, I thought it was ironclad. I'm yeah. glad. I'm I'm glad I'm done. You didn't look like you thought it was ironclad. You looked rather shocked when PJ just said, uh, you know. I thought he was going to pass out. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of sorry this is audio for the people, uh, people listening yeah. in. Yeah. yeah, you guys missed out. Tom made the perfect face that we should have got a poster of. <laughs> Tanda, what skill goes well with positivity? I'm going to say exercise. I mean, for me, for me, when I'm feeling negative, um, if I can uh, clean out the shop or just go out in the sun and pull weeds or haul something off and do something really physical, I think that uh, is the best thing to snap me out of it is to just do something like really tiring, you know, just something where you just work all day long. So you're you want something to snap you out of the positivity? No, out of out of the negativity. But I, sometimes, you know, if you're toxically positive, you need something to. But uh, 
No, if I'm if I'm feeling negative or feeling down, really like just strenuous labor, just digging a ditch or something is what it what mm. usually helps. It it feels it gives you that sense of accomplishment. I think it does. It, does it, it gives you a sense of accomplishment, even if it's just yard work or something. And oftentimes when I'm feeling negative, I just can't sleep. I just my mind is just racing with all of the things I you know could be doing, should be doing. In fact, that's probably what often leads to the negativity is just feeling overwhelmed. But if I'm just so tired, I can't can't stay awake anymore. So it's a good combination of making me really tired and feeling like I accomplished something. Tanda, that, that's a fantastic explanation. But you paired a skill with negativity. You were supposed to pair a skill with positivity. No, no, no. They go together. No, exer- exercise, exercise leads to positivity. Yeah, totally. Okay, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. Yeah, that sounds better. PJ, what you got? I got nothing. That's a terrible <laughs> comparison. No posit- no positivity superstitions? <laughs> I did look up positivity superstitions, and it gave me some weird answers. Really weird answers. So I just didn't, I didn't go down that rabbit hole. And he's going to read 37 of them right now. No, definitely not. You should have you gone with my uh, physics, uh, physics view. I mean, I'm sure that there were people who thought positivity was caused by some really interesting things in the past. No, uh, for me, the the skill that goes well uh, with positivity is talking. By you spread the positivity by talking to others, and uh, you know, if you're good at it, it'll boost sharing. Sharing, well, sharing too. Yeah, you're sharing with them. I find that when people are in a bad way. If you can communicate, you could say communicating, also talking, communicating. It's basically the same thing. But you're, uh, let's say, infecting them with your positivity, and that breaks them out of that cycle that they're stuck in. So I think that's a good pairing. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I spend a lot of alone time and just uh, interacting with someone, someone calling or stopping by or um you know, just just communicating with another human being is uh, is a good thing for positivity. Absolutely. It's time to talk about new skill sets. That's what all the cool kids are doing. We haven't talked about new skill sets in probably about thirty episodes. It's been quite a while. Tanda wanted to bring one up. Yeah, I just uh, something that I was looking, kind of coming back around to. I mean, I think a lot of us kind of circle back to things that we'd like to get a little bit better at. And sometimes when you circle back, there are new options available or different things. But one of the things I would like to get better at and and learn to do well is um, animation, like like getting better at Blender or some kind of uh, 3D graphics animation. And it's not for what you would think for just like the artistic animation, but I would like to be able to rig 3d models of things that I'm making so that I can then test programs against them or test mechanisms that I can feed, feed data in and drive them parametrically more, more than just you would from say fusion 360 or SolidWorks changing parameters, but to actually sit down and write a program that then makes the whole mechanism, you know, do things programmatically. So I didn't know that before. So Blender is not just an animation software, but you can actually put, it can run code on your animation? 
yeah, you can basically um, tie things in to your 3D models. You can rig your 3D models in Blender. You might have to pair that with something else to then actually... Let me clarify that for because I can see Tom's expression. He doesn't understand. Rigging is not code, Tom. So rigging mm -hmm. is... Imagine you have um, like a human body, okay? You have a 3D yeah. model of a human body. That's just a shape. It's not, yep. there's no bone structure or anything. So if you want it to bend in a certain way, you have to create what's called rigging, which are basically like lines with points of um, bending, I guess is the best way to put it. Like right. you're, I mean, you're, I think they literally call it bones in yeah, Blender. You're, you're, huh. you're defining like how the object should move and bend um, by creating this, uh, this rigging, which is basically a skeleton inside right. the object and it could be it's not just a human body it could be anything that needs to move it could be a machine you know like a robotic arm or a car or whatever and you create these control points and the control points will then then you can actuate like each individual thing like you know move the foot move the leg you know move the arm and then you can actually create uh there are uh it's not code but it's like you're creating a motion for that thing and you can activate that motion like you can basically like a set like of parameters yeah, yeah you've done you've done yeah. editing right um in yeah. some kind of editing software where you can like you know fade fade in one one video track to another video track or you can fade audio in and out and you put handles on it and then you can move those handles to change your your parameter right. so you can do the same sort of thing with motion or movement of structures within within a program so so my question is how do you how does that help you how are you creating a realistic environment how do you know those parameters or is that built in well the, those are just defined by you you do fusion 360 right you've done yeah. some so you can move things around and animate it in fusion 360 so you have a joint and that joint can move through a certain range i don't know if you've played with right building joints and so forth. But then that that joint can have a parameter tied to it where you give it a number and it just moves between those numbers. Or you can do the animation within Fusion 360 where you can do that same sort of thing where you like have handles and you move it around and you can create a motion study. But I want to take it one step further and have that rigging where I can then write a program either external or internal to some kind of environment where I can then, like within Unity, the Unity gaming framework or something, where I can then take that rigged model and write code to make it do whatever it does so that I can hmm. build like a robotic work cell or I can build a, you know, some complicated mechanism that's driven by programming or driven by hydraulic cylinders or whatever but I can then write real code for it having not built the actual machine. I can write code to make the machine do what the machine's supposed to do, but the machine is still entirely virtual. That's pretty cool. What do you think you can... I mean, you're trying to avoid real problems, right? Like, do you have an example of something that this might help you avoid or foresee? Well, it's mostly to avoid expenses of building building real mechanical things and then finding errors when you go to program them or actually use them to m manipulate things and then going 
oh man, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't move as fast as I wanted, or, or it's really difficult to coordinate that. And now I need to rebuild something that I spent a lot of money on mechanically where I want to, to simulate it. And I've done, I've kind of patched things together before using a 3d modeling program to then put the models into blender, to rig them, to then put them in the unity gaming framework to, to make them move about and stuff. And it's just, it's really cumbersome. So I'm kind of out looking for something that, you know, a skill I could build that will allow me to do that, um, quickly. I mean, if it takes me longer and it's more work to do this than to actually, you know, spend the time and money to just build, actually mock it up and build it, then it's not, not much use. So I'm going to chime in because I don't know if this is specifically the cause, but when I first started doing 3D animation, or I was trying to teach myself, I tried to learn Blender. And Blender is ridiculous. It's, it's not user-friendly. It is incredibly difficult. It's like driving an iron spike through your ear. Okay, I then found Cinema 4D, which is specifically um, most of the film community uses Cinema 4D to do special effects, like the one that the the very first Spider-Man and uh, the Transformers movies. All the CGI was all Cinema 4D. So it's a top shelf program. There's tons of videos that show you how to use it. The systems in place are very, very good as far as like it is, I won't say it's intuitive, but it makes sense. There's a lot of stuff. You have to learn things, but the things that you learn like build on themselves and everything in Blender just made me like so frustrated. And now I will say this is years ago that I was trying to learn Blender. I don't know if they've improved it since then, but it sounds like from what you're saying, it's still frustrating. So I would suggest trying a different program. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was. I mean, I don't know that it was frustrating so much as there's just a lot you can do with it, and I didn't spend long enough. Any any one time, I've I've like downloaded Blender and you know got it up and running and started using it. Did I spend enough time to really feel comfortable using it? I spent enough time to do what I needed to do, and then I didn't come back to it for years, and then it felt like I was starting over again every time because it was like oh man now I've got to you know go out there and and it's maybe not the right tool for the job um for what I'm wanting to do with more electromechanical stuff there's probably better I mean there are purpose-built things like robo decay and stuff out there but there's um you know a component to it where I'd also like to be able to just demonstrate virtually what I'm what I'm building so I have a, a customer or a client or you know some some internal customer at work that I'm trying to describe a work cell to them and how it's going to actually work and how parts are going to flow through from one work cell to the other. And I can make a motion study in Fusion 360 to just show a few parts of it moving, but I can't really make them all work together. And I can't take two or three or four of those things and, you know, it becomes really cumbersome to have it where it does something different than basically just creating a little loop that does the same thing over and over becomes really cumbersome. So I'd like to up that, that game. And I don't know, is Cinema 4D, is that an Autodesk product? No. Or is it an Adobe or something completely different? Oh, it's neither. It's, it is its own entity. It is there. It's, it's made by, um, 
Oh, it's not Creative Labs who makes it. I can't think of the name of the company. But it is not like a subset of some other division of some other company. It's its own brand. And the stuff that you're talking about is doable mm -hmm. in Cinema 4D. I'm, I'm not very good at it, but I know it's possible. The thing is, you need to fully invest time to learn that stuff. And if you're not doing it, like on a regular basis, it's going to be hard. It's right. Hard to I do mean, that yeah, stuff. I think in general, that's, you know, if I'm going to invest the time in doing it, I want it to be a tool that I can keep coming back to that I don't outgrow or I don't spend a lot of time learning it and then go, uh, but it doesn't quite get me to the finish line because I can't, it won't allow me to, to do the programming. Uh, I'm just reading some pros and cons between Cinema 4D and Blender. It's this is not conclusive information, but it says Blender has um, a default. This is a, a pro. Blender has a default scripting language that is Python three, which can be used to write add-ons, which is I think what you're talking about. Extend the interface. This was I think this was translated from another language, so it can be used to write add-ons. Extend the interface helps in rigging and more. I know that's terrible English, but that's what I'm that's what I'm reading. Uh, whereas I don't, it doesn't seem like Cinema 4D has that same type of... Cinema 4D has a Python um, section, so you can use Python. Okay. In, yeah, it does. I've never okay. used it, but I know it's there. PJ, everything you're saying is on the cons list. Like, Blender is not a very easy and simple 3D modeling software. It has its own way of doing things, and sometimes it becomes difficult to achieve simpler tasks. Um, uh, Blender does not have a unified workflow and interface. The user might get confused if he, if he is uh, a beginner. Yeah. Moreover, the operations are not modified for specific tasks. So yeah, like you're you're saying all the things that this website is saying too. Um, but it was written by PJ. Blender's free. Yeah, Blender's free. And Cinema 4D free. Yeah. is not. No, Cinema 4D costs some serious money. And Tandef, like you could get your work to pay for it. That'd be awesome because it's not cheap. I think my work would like the results of seeing like a full like animation and programmable laid out. Mm -hmm. But I don't see mm -hmm. the, think they would see the value of paying for that because it's it's non traditional. I mean, it's something that I think will become more and more prevalent as we enter enter kind of what people are calling Industry 4.0 or X.0 because I think we'll have more tightly integrated machines where they're just tied into the network of a bunch of different machines. And that's kind of the problem I'm trying to, to solve is that in the past, a machine just kind of sat there on its own. You know, even if it was a CNC machine, it wasn't really integrated with a robot feeding it or parts being taken in and out. And now things are becoming more and more tightly integrated and networked together. And so it's harder to get your head around um, and to to describe and to convey to other people a system of machines. And so I'm trying to be able to virtually create a system of machines that can be programmed. And I suppose even, I think, in SolidWorks, you can still, haven't used SolidWorks in a few years, but I think you can still write Lisp code to drive parameters within SolidWorks, but, you know, then it just becomes, I, I want to have my virtual machine up on the screen and then write code separate from that, that can send it information and, and make it move and, and do its thing. Well, you were just talking about reminds me of uh, my brother works for, or my brother-in-law works for a um, co-packer 
and they make lots of different things, and every time they have to set up the line, they have all these modules of machines, right? I think this is pretty typical, uh, where you have something that, you know, picks the thing up and puts it over here, and then you have a thing that screws a cap on, and then you have a module that, uh, I don't know, name it. Yep. And part of his job is taking these things and mashing them together to, to do the product that they need to do. And what you're talking about is they could basically do this while the machines are running before the next run has to go. They could set all this up virtually and then it would take them, you know, let's call it 12 hours instead of 72 hours to set up the next line. Exactly. Because they, they've already worked out all those kinks and, and mashed those machines together. And those machines are just in the database, right? Correct. Like a, a, after, after you've done it. Right. Um, so that's pretty cool. And I know you're talking about something at a much higher level. No, no. But pretty much the same thing. Pretty much the same thing. Just, uh, but having that ability, even from the start, when you're just proposing uh, an assembly line, if you can show how it will work, then it makes it easier to sell the idea of your approach to those different modules and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But it's very difficult when you only have someone's attention. Maybe you only have a customer's attention for half an hour. And if you can show them a virtual assembly line working, that really is their assembly line instead of a whole bunch of separate things, then right. that's easier. But also if you've done that legwork, if it's an internal project, and you've done that legwork so that you have a virtual version of all of those 3D models, and they're more than just 3D models, they're actually like working like the real thing, then you can, like you said, you could be setting up code, you could be writing code to those, you could be building, you know, your your full set of processes against that model. And then when you roll out the real thing, there'll always be hitches and things that don't work in the real world quite exactly like it but you're 90 percent of the way there and so you can do Mm -hmm. it very quickly and you can discover and make changes and stuff early on and so i'm just trying to find a tool set and become familiar with a tool set that'll allow me to to build virtual machines that i can can program and and make them move and watch watch them as though i'm looking at the machine through a camera what do you think do you think you'll get any formal uh education for that um i've wanted to take some classes on fusion 360 to get better and and more efficient um is that you know versus just figuring it out you know do you think that's a path you'll go most most likely not just because i don't know if there's I mean, if I, if I could find a tool that someone was teaching this, I might, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to end up being kind of a mashup of a couple different tools. I'm happy to watch hours and hours of online tutorials and classes, but I don't know if I would go to someone just because I don't know where, where that would be and what kind of time frame it would be. So there is a place online called Cineversity which is Cinema 4D University, and they have a full, like, a class on every single thing that you could want to learn using the program. There are people that show you how to do it step by step, and there's also, like, write-ups that go along with it. Oh, cool. So my suggestion to you is find a project that you're working on at work where this would actually be a benefit and tie in the cost of the program to the budget of that thing and then just have them just say like this is to help streamline everything and have them pay for it you know i mean it doesn't sound like that would be too far of a jump if it's helping you at work yeah it's it's not i don't think it's so much yeah i don't know i it's it's worth trying i I don't know if it's a 
it's a money thing so much as an IT support and putting it on your computers and getting computers to run it and, and all of that. Other people having to jump through hoops to make it to make it work rather than just crack the whip tanda just crack the whip come on get them get them in line i i'm i'm like uh 30 30k into software this month already so i'll maybe i'll crack the whip down the road a ways on uh, <laughs> on, on custom custom software but that's good to know and i'll go check it out and see see what i can learn i know our SCADA system that i'm using um has a really good online university where you can go through and it's structured really well. It's like five or five or 10 minute videos, one right after the other, after the other, as you work through modules and different um, aspects of it that are laid out pretty well. Very cool. Thank you. Mm, I'm sure you want to try out that new skill set. I know I do. All right. It's time for short and sweet. Tom, any final thoughts to wrap up the show? Mm, no, but if you're lacking positivity, just reach out to anybody on Instagram about anything in the maker community, and and I'm sure your attitude will shift. Good advice. Definitely good advice. Tanda, what about you? Anything to wrap up the show? Uh, I guess a couple things. Um, also, also do the reflection of what Tom uh, has just said. Randomly reach out to somebody every once in a while and just ask how they're doing or, or engage them about a project every once in a while on Instagram because you never know, especially if someone you haven't heard from, they haven't posted in a week or two or whatever, you know, just take a little time to think about uh, someone you may not have heard from some, recently that posts pretty regularly and just say, hey, like that last thing you did or what's up in your life. Um, so that's that's always a good thing. And then the other thing is if you're listening and you have input on my uh, my learning of, of something that I can use to rig 3D models and make virtual machines out of them, feel free to, to shoot me a DM or give me your suggestions. Please help Tanda. In her time of need, she needs help. In more ways than one. <laughs> As for me, yesterday was Labor Day. And people were out doing, like, Labor Day things. Like, you know, doing stuff with other people and barbecuing. And I had to work because I worked for myself. And that's what I was doing. And I wasn't particularly looking forward to it. But I opened the garage door and I had a visitor. I had a little tiny baby ringneck snake that had hidden under the garage door and he happened to be on that brand new cement that I poured to level out the garage floor to the driveway. And I guess it was super slippery because I opened the door and I saw him and I'm standing there and he is just like trying to run like crazy and wasn't moving at all. He was just like he was just like running in place, like squiggling around and he was heading like towards the garage and I'm like no buddy you, you got to go the other direction so I'm like putting my foot there I'm like turn around turn around and he he wouldn't go so then I just picked him up he was super tiny he was like basically like a night crawler like that's how big he was he was like the size of a worm and I just cupped him in my hand and calmed him down and I did a post about it it's on Instagram if you want to see what he looks like and um, he even crawled up my hand and like he was right next to my turquoise and silver snake ring which I thought was very meta so that brightened up my entire day, just just that little visitor. Uh, so, you know, if you're ever feeling down, um, find an animal to, you know, 
to poke and touch. And animals are great ways to uh, bring up your energy and, you know, give you some positive vibes because there's the animals don't lie. You know, they're just they do what they do. So, you know, Tanda's got Roxy the shop dog and Tom has something that resembles a dog at his house, but I really don't think it is. I saw it. It looks like a wet rat, but I don't have any animals here other than the ones that I come into contact with. And um, and today, uh, I had uh, I got visited by a brand new praying mantis, and uh, I did some stories about it on Instagram. I tried to feed him a, a grasshopper, and he didn't want it. So, but yeah, those things make me happy. The praying mantis is the only insect that can move its head. Turn its head, move its head, turn its head. One of it, those. It, it moves its head in multiple ways. And yes, uh, I didn't know that was the only insect that could do it, but it will look at you for sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's um, it's very engaging. And, um, I think I read that on a popsicle stick one time. That sounds about right. And our top Patreon supporters are Tanda Madison and Creator Nader. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram, and you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. Welcome to the simple solution. All right. Tom has... Yet another problem. It feels like Tand and I are always fixing Tom's problems. What is it this time, Tom? Fixing is a, a strong word. So I want to make a new desk. Not like the old desk that I have with the motorized thing. But I want to make a new workstation for mostly electronics, but really for anything. But I, electronics projects are the type of projects that I need more information on. So what happens is I get started, I get halfway through and I'm like, I don't know how to do the next thing. This needs to wait. And then I end up shoving everything in a Tupperware bin and it goes on a shelf and it never comes out again. So what I'm, what I'm trying to do is make a desk with lots of drawers that double as workspaces. But I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm having a little failure to launch because I have so many ideas and I don't know which ones are the best ones or which ones are unnecessary or maybe just ones that I can add later. But I I don't want to build something and then have to like dismantle it to build in the new feature. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I we were talking a little bit before the podcast about uh, the workbench that Jocko did that's got kind of a similar function in that you can like be working on something and it's it's almost like you're working on it inside of a flat drawer right or a flat slide and then you can just put it put it away and pull out another one and work yeah and the idea of doing that for electronics is is kind of intriguing because i think you could do some fun stuff like uh like build in banana jacks into the back of the drawer oh like like they're just like banana banana jack posts in the in the back side of it 
Yeah. So you can even have stuff wired up and, and have, you know, things laid out and plugged into breadboards and maybe an Arduino running or whatever on it. But then you can just unplug your power from the banana jacks and put it away. And then you want to work on it again. You get it out and you have like a power supply that's just on the top all the time. And you can plug in those power supplies back into what you were working on and just take off right where you left off. So you throw the shelf, uh, the drawer shelf thing on, on your workspace, and then you just take your power supply leads, plug them into the shelf. Shelf, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then so like your your shelf has power connections. Drawer. And then whatever you had plugged in already was there. Yeah, so your shelf can have power connections and and stuff just kind of built into it. Well, that's pretty cool. And and if it was if if you had a bunch of different stuff, you know, like if you had a like a benchtop multimeter or things like that, then you could just come up with like a almost like a connector. Uh-huh. Where you throw you throw the shelf up on your workbench and then you plug in this connector and that connects up your oscope and your function generator and your power supply and you know anything on your electronics workbench could just be plugged into that shelf. And that would, that would be interesting. I don't know how well, it, you know, if you worked on a lot of similar things that used the same power, you know, and stuff, it would be kind of a, a cool way to, to do it. So then you're not even yeah. like hooking up probes to, or, you know, to pop, you know, some kind of little clip onto the power lead or something like that. Right. Your circuit, your circuit just stays the same. Right. Another thing you could do, Tom, is uh, you can get take the breadboards and make them part of the actual shelf so that they don't move. Like the breadboards are permanently there. And then off to the side, yep. you can have things that you would use regularly. Like let's say you're going to need switches to turn things on and off. You could screw these toggle switches down to the drawer and then just have leads that you can connect to different things. So that way you're always, you know, you, you don't have to go looking for switches and then try to hook them up Ooh, and solder like things that. together. I like that. That would be another another great feature just to have switches switches on the, on the fixed part. Yeah. And then when you plug in this connector, this kind of mythical connector we're talking about, then it not only gives you your power supply and your meters and stuff, but it gives you like eight push buttons and a few toggle switches and uh-huh. a handful of LEDs. and So that's all built into one drawer or I can make several of those. Right. Um, now, if I have like 12 drawers, maybe I have three of those that are similar to that one because that serves one function. What I, what I did look for was like what I'm going to line the drawers with. Not that I have to line all of them, but I'm like, can I put one of those... Um, what are those electro electric mm-hmm. work pads that anti, ground anti, you out? Anti static. ESD. They're ESD. Electrostatic discharge. What are those? What are they made out of? It's just like a conductive. Um, it could be conductive plastic. It's like a or plastic a, or rubber, but it's got some. Yeah, conductive. Can you cut it? Can you, you cut could, it to you, size? Yeah. If you're gonna make like a workbench yeah. like that, buy a roll of it. You can buy a roll of it. Really? Without okay. without all of the little snaps for wrist straps and stuff already built in, you can just buy a roll and make your own, and it's much cheap. Much cheaper. I was also looking for like silicone mats for other ones, and I even looked at like those little stick down carpet squares um, for other ones. Like I wanted like white carpet squares for when I take a th- thing apart, and then all the s- black screws pop out when you put them, in, and they don't roll around, so oh, you yeah. can like line them out. 
Um, so yeah. I wanted like multiple different kinds of drawers for this thing. That would be so cool. Like the cutting mats. Uh, yeah. And a cutting mat. One of the like Fisker's cutting mats would be a good, would be a good one that you could just pull out yep. for chopping stuff up. If you're just cutting a bunch of stuff. Now I do have one problem that I can't think through is when I take the drawer out, let's call it like a two inch deep drawer, right? Mm-hmm. Like I want them to be pretty shallow because I want to be able to work in the drawer the how could i make the a drawer or all of the drawers so that one edge will flip out of the way so that my arms aren't resting on a an edge of a drawer and it's more like a work surface it's more like a table surface um yeah. can you think of an easy solution i got for that? two solutions yeah yeah um, i got an easy solution uh, uh, the first thing first thing would be um just some magnets and hinges just hinge the bottom and uh, put magnets on the sides so that the whole thing folds down. That's that's an easy way to go. Uh, another more, um, I guess, old school technique uh, would be to just uh, dovetail the sides and have the dovetails slot in. And so then that's what you, you're pulling the drawer against the dovetails, but then you just pull that side straight up out and the dovetails, you know, are just holding it in mm-hmm. place and then it's gone. Yep. Um, yeah, my, my solution was just, uh, turn the drawer face to the back, make, make the back, make the backside flat, right? That's easy to work on. And when you pull out the okay. drawer, when you pull out the drawer, just flip it around and put the drawer so front. So just don't have a lip on the back. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then just put the lip to the back, just flip it around backwards. I thought of that, but for whatever reason, I got hung up on the idea that it's not a drawer anymore and it won't hold things, but that's just, it just, it will, it will. Well, if it's just a mat. Or just yeah. a, I mean, if it's a work surface that doesn't have, now if it has stuff rolling around on it, you might want a, well, a back lip. Yeah. But, y- but even maybe a combination, even the things that PJ said, maybe, maybe a magnetic back is easier to, to build than a magnetic front. Cause if you make a front that's just rigid, then it makes for better, better drawer pulls and better pulling it out. But then you could flip right. it around and maybe the back just pops off with magnets or slides out on a dovetail. What about putting a like one of those keyboard armrest things on the back as a lip and as a comfort thing? Yeah. I think that might work. Yeah. You could I do mean, that. Yeah. Use... You buy that in like 50 foot rolls? Well, you could, just make, you could just make one. I mean, you could just, you just take a piece of foam and staple it around to the back of uh, a piece of wood that then screws onto the back of the drawer. You can get Perfect. some neoprene, some thick neoprene, and probably do something similar. Yeah. Oh, I also thought about, so it's going to be standing height. And one of the features I would like to have is that at sitting height, I would like there to be one surface that pulls out on drawer slides. And I can also put one of these drawers on that surface and then sit at it if I ever needed or wanted to sit down at this thing and then have all that same functionality uh, versus standing or sitting on a on a stool uh, at the higher height. Mm-hmm. Um but I started to think about how I'm going to build this entire cabinet really. And I'm like, this is a lot of wood and a lot of like a lot of drawer slide shelf things like not drawer shelf, not drawer slides themselves, but you know, even like a ledge for the drawer to sit on. You could do something simple though. I mean, you could just have like a gap where there's not a drawer, you know, you have like drawers, drawers, drawers. And then at sitting height, you have a gap where there's not a drawer and you could just Mm -hmm. have rods um, you know, just sliding through tubes back through the back and you yeah. just have two rods that you pull out 
because you're already going to pull out a drawer and set it on there. So really, you just need some okay. kind of strong, strong support. So if you had, you know, some kind of pull-out rod mechanisms or something that come out maybe two-thirds of the way out, enough to support the drawer, but enough still in to... Right. Yeah, I, I track with that. That's interesting. So it would be kind of like homebrew drawer slides, but a little little stronger that you could just pull out and set something on top of. So right. they, they just pull out and give you something to set one of your drawers on rather than being a drawer that, you know, a, a whole shelf that pulls out that you then put a shelf on because you already, right. you already have the shelf. So you just need supports right. or you could swing them out from the side. You could just put some uh, like piano hinges on the side with a little trust arm that, that folds all the way back against the side. Mm-hmm. Um, actually it'd probably be better if it like flipped over instead of swinging out. Cause then you need, the room near it to swing them out. Right. But if you had it where it just like maybe flipped, you know, around and down yep. or you, or you just lift it off or even, you know, easier yet, it's just on pins or something and you lift it off the side and then just slide it into the pins and it becomes just, just an arm with a truss under it that provides you something to set one of your shelves on. And it can just kind of Interesting. slide into pins on the front and then you just, have a little place to stow them off on the side something like that for the sitting Hmm. portion i like it tom we're gonna need a prototype before the next show just uh just fyi yeah i'll draw it up i'm a terrible drawer but i'll do it anyway well you can do it in fusion fusion 360 i tried i can't it's so annoying to just draw squares in that program and i'm like ugh, this is stupid this isn't showing me anything And then I just go in the workshop and I start cutting wood and I'm like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. Let me think about it again. I think we solved all, all of Tom's problems, Tanda. All of them. I'm Every cured. One. Every single one. That'll be 47.52. How much change? Was there a solution? I'm not sure. <laughs>